Great to see everybody here today. Glad you're able to be here uh, as we join together for this hour of worship. And if you are visiting with us, uh, you have honored us by choosing to be here, and we hope that we make you feel welcome and that you want to be back with us again on many, many future occasions. You're certainly welcome to do that. This is uh, an exciting week in the life of the church. Our um, children will be involved in Vacation Bible School. Shake It Up Cafe begins tonight and runs through Thursday night. Uh, 6 o'clock through 7.45 each evening. Uh, the kids will learn how to carry out God's recipe for life. That sounds like a good thing. Um, and next Sunday morning, our children will present some of their lessons and songs from Bible school at the 9 o'clock hour. Uh, and so some of you may want to make an appearance there uh, instead or, or in addition to what you normally do so that you can see and hear what they have learned. Um, also, mark your calendar for Sunday, June the 26th. As we did last summer, this is the second time we're going to try to do a family fun day out at the lake. It was great with a cookout last year and some, uh, I'm not sure there was any successful fishing, but there was some drowning of worms. And uh, so that's uh, on the docket for the 26th, and I hope that you can plan to be there. And that's some of Katie's good work in leading us in the family and children's ministry area. So there will be, will be more details coming forth uh, in the days to come regarding this. I want you to, to know about a very historic wedding that was here yesterday. Some of you folks that have been associated with Memorial Church for a long time will really appreciate this, I think. Um, about 50 years ago, you had a pastor whose name was B.B. Black. Um, those of you about my age and older will remember him. Uh, yesterday, there was a wedding here. B.B. Black's great-grandson married the great-granddaughter of Robert and Thelma Hyatt who also were members of this church back in those days. And, of course, dear Thelma was still uh, active in her retirement, uh, well, at the nursing home, but in good health when I arrived here. And I was blessed to get to know that dear saintly lady. So anyway, um, it's interesting to me. It says to me that the things we do today may bear fruit in 50 years. You just never know. So it's important we do everything well when it comes to serving in the church. You may be planting seed that will uh, produce a harvest many, many years from now. Of course, this was a couple that I had known from my previous congregation as, in Spartanburg as well. So we had a great day of celebration that involved uh, the history of Memorial Church in some wonderful ways. So I want you to know about that um, as we celebrate this. Let us now worship God together.
Affirmation of Faith is the Apostles' Creed. It's page 881 in your hymnal. Let us unite in this historic confession of the Christian faith. I believe in God the Father Almighty, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day he rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Be seated, please. This time we invite the children to come forward to join Katie Jeter for a few moments of sharing. y'all doing good? Are y'all ready for Bible school? Me too, can you tell? I already have on my t-shirt, I'm ready. This morning I'll need somebody to help me with our lesson. I need somebody strong. Are you strong, Julia? You look strong. Okay. I'm going to let Julia help me. I brought some little sticks with me this morning. So I want you to take this and hold on to it for just a second. Um, Julia, do you think you could break that stick? Would it be easy for you to do with your strong muscles? Let me see. Okay, that was really easy. Think you could do it, John? Yeah, okay. Well, what about, Kara, can you help me take, pull that bag for me? Okay, Julia, take all these sticks. Be careful, don't let them drop, they're kind of small. Now, break those, all at one time. Can't do it, can you? Even with those big muscles. I tried to. I couldn't do it. You think you could do it, John? Maybe? I don't think so. You want to give it a shot? Okay, be careful. Okay. Splinters. No, you have to do them all together. Okay, okay. Okay, John. Let's put them back in here. That, that was not the point. Okay. When they're all together in a big bundle like that, it's not as easy to break them, right, Julia? You couldn't do it, even though you're strong. They're much stronger when they're all together. Uh, well, these six can actually teach us an important lesson about our church. Sometimes we think the church, when we think about our church, we think it's this building, right? This building represents the church to us. But is the church really this building? What makes up our church? It's all the people who are here, right? It's the men and the women and the boys and the girls who have chosen to follow Jesus. And we come here because that's where we learn more about him, right? Well, you, me, and all the people here make up the church. We are the church together. And some people say they can be a Christian without going to church. And that may be true. But when we're by ourselves and not here in this church altogether, we're not very strong. We're kind of like that stick when we're by ourselves, right? We're easy to break. But when we're all together, we're a lot stronger, don't you think? When Satan tries to tempt us to do something that we know is wrong, it might be difficult to say no and walk away from it if we're by ourselves. But is it easier if we're surrounded by people who believe the same things we do? Yeah. Well, one day Jesus went off by himself to pray. And he prayed for his disciples because he knew that his disciples had to live in the world just like we do. And they would be tempted by the evil things there. He also knew that if his disciples came together as a whole group, they would be much stronger than if they were just by themselves. So he prayed, and he asked God to protect them and help them be just like one person, like those whole group of six all grouped together, just like Jesus and God are one. So when Satan tempts you to do things that you know are wrong, you think you can remember the lesson of the six? 
When you're by yourself, it's a lot easier to break, right? But when you're at your church or with the people who make you stronger, you have more strength, right? Okay. Will you bow your heads and pray with me? Repeat after me. Father, protect us and help us to be one with other believers, just as you are one with Jesus. Amen. Children will note that in a few minutes when we get to our second hymn, you will be invited to um, go with Miss Beverly upstairs to the library to look at some library books. And Beverly, I think my sermon is real long today, so you should have plenty of time. For, she says one time I cut it so short I, I left her high and dry up there or something. But uh, anyway, that's a wonderful thing that you do for the children. We appreciate it. From Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 11, here now our first scripture lesson of the day. Luke is writing these words. <clears throat> In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up from their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. Here ends the lesson. Our responsive reading is Psalm 47. That is on page 800, excuse me, 781 in your hymnal. I invite you to turn to that page and stand as you're able as we share God's word responsively. <clears throat> Clap your hands, all peoples. For the Lord the Most High is to be feared, who subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet, God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of the trumpet. Sing praises to God, sing praises. For God is the ruler of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of the God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God, who is God. 
seated, please. Our epistle lesson for the day is found in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every title that can be given, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Here ends the lesson.
Let us join our hearts together in prayer. Lord, well over a hundred years after this great church was founded, we come today to give you thanks for those who came before us, who planted the seeds that has resulted in a harvest that we are now enjoying. And we pray that you would bless us as we go about that work of planting for future generations. And may there come a time when those future generations who are yet unborn will look back at this time and call us blessed of the Father for working in your vineyard. And we give you thanks for those who've come before us. And we're especially thankful for the hopeful message of the ascension of Jesus. For we not only understand that that was why the resurrection appearances ended, but we also understand that it means the one who gave his life for us has been exalted to the highest honor of heaven, where now he rules the universe and gives guidance to his church and to his people. And we're so grateful for the continuing work of Jesus in our lives, not only in that he gave his life for our forgiveness, but he now is there to intercede for us in our time of weakness and sin and to guide us and to give us grace day by day. We thank you, Father, for so connecting us to Jesus, who is himself so connected to you and the Spirit that together we experience a oneness with God through faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that this time for all the wonderful events going on in the life of this church. We especially remember the busy week ahead for our children as they come to Vacation Bible School. We pray your blessings upon those adult leaders who will be giving so much of their time this week and upon our children as well. And we pray, Lord, that as we go through this summer, that we might always be mindful of the fact that you are with us year-round, that your work goes on all the time, calls us to be faithful to you in the days to come. For we pray this in Jesus' name, who has taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever. Amen. Let us now worship God by giving. <clears throat>
want to bring you up to date quickly on a couple of folks that you need to be in your, uh, in your prayer room over. Uh, Joanne Rishforth had shoulder surgery Thursday and is at home recovering uh, from a torn rotator cuff, I guess is what they call that. Very painful from what I understand. Uh, Corey Kinnett is uh, at home recovering from yet another of her many surgeries she's had since a child. This one was uh, extremely lengthy, uh, 10 hours worth of surgery up in Charlotte an undo and redo of lots of surgery that had gone before, but she's doing, doing quite well. Uh, and also this week, uh, Meredith Sims, Bo's wife, and Catherine, oh, they were at the early service today, I forgot. Uh, uh, Catherine uh, Jones's uh, granddaughter-in-law, I'll get right in a minute, uh, is is to be uh, is to have twins on Friday. Now she's been in the hospital for five weeks, as she has a very complicated type of uh, pregnancy, and uh, they're going to deliver very premature twins on Friday. And the ch children will be in the hospital for about a month, continuing to develop. So, uh, if you're looking for somebody to throw some prayer at, that is certainly a situation, and we invite you to to uh, be remembering these folks and others in prayer. Uh, on a much less uh, demanding or, or serious note, but nevertheless significant to us, is the fact that uh, our son and daughter-in-law have moved permanently and become Hoosiers now. They have moved to Valparaiso, Indiana, where she's gonna return to school and he's becoming his father-in-law's slave uh, no, actually, a very good job his father-in-law has given him. Um, it's, but that just means that Penny and I are going to have to learn to fly in and out of Chicago a lot uh, to see them uh, because that's going to be their permanent homes, as permanent as any of us have our homes. So anyway, think about us. Uh, it's quite an adjustment to have a child that far away. And now, the scripture lesson from the gospel, Luke chapter 24 verses 44 through 53. Jesus said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Christ will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day. And repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshiped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy, and they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. Here ends the lesson. <clears throat> well, it is one of those Hollywood cliches. The main character says, wait for my signal. And the accomplice says, how will I know what your signal is? And the main character says, don't worry, you will know. Today's lessons in both Luke and Acts have Jesus telling his disciples that they're to go into all the world to preach and teach and witness, but they're not to start right away. They are to remain in Jerusalem until Jesus gives them the signal to start. And there would be no mistaking that signal. They would know it when it came because they would be filled with power when the Holy Spirit came upon them. This would be their signal to begin work. We learn in verse 1 about the author of this history book. It is none other than our friend Dr. Luke, the traveling companion of Saul of Tarsus. And as he did in his gospel, Luke addresses this letter once again to someone named Theophilus. 
who is either an actual person of that name or else uh, to a group of people who are uh, symbolized by that name because it could be translated to mean people who love God. So it's not clear as to who he's writing. Of course, I like to remind y'all that uh, when John Jameson was born, his family named him Theophilus, not because it was a Bible name, because, but because they looked at, it, looked at him and saw his baby pictures, and he was Theophilus-looking thing they'd ever seen in their lives. <laughs> <clears throat> You're welcome. <laughs> in the closing chapter of the Gospel of Luke, the author tells us about Jesus' resurrection appearances and his ascension. And here in Acts, Luke kind of backs up and goes back inside of his previous story to amend it a bit, to add other details to it. And we learn from Luke that Jesus gave many convincing proofs to the disciples that he was indeed alive following his very cruel execution appearing repeatedly to them for quite a number of days, which is what is meant by that term, 40 days. It's a bunch of days that Jesus was appearing to them. He also spent time continuing to teach the disciples more and more about the kingdom of God. Perhaps he had to repeat some of his old kingdom stories now that they were in a better position to understand these things. He even shared some meals with them. And isn't that exciting to think about? Apparently, you and I will still enjoy eating in the world to come, even if we don't need to eat in order to survive. Perhaps one day you will find me at some celestial waffle house. If so, the coffee is on me. <clears throat> the continuing post-Easter appearances of Jesus had to be a bit confusing to those disciples. They must have thought that it would be business as usual now, like it used to be, except maybe better. Now their leader could no longer be killed. He was invincible. What a king he would be. Lord, does this mean that now is the time you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel and kick out those Romans and return greatness to Israel? Jesus' response is one that people of all ages and generations would, would do very well to memorize, especially when those folks are tempted to try to set a date for the end of the world. Jesus said, it's not for you to know. It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority. Before the crucifixion, Jesus had said that no one but God knew the exact timing of the end of the world. Here, Jesus implied that even if he now, after the resurrection, knew God's timetable, he wasn't going to tell us because that knowledge was something that we humans were not supposed to possess. It is not for us to know, period. But here is what they could know. They were to be his witnesses, beginning right there in Jerusalem and then spreading to the whole region of Judea and then on to Samaria and then on to the whole world. But they should wait for the signal to begin, and you will know when that signal uh, is sent to you. They would receive power, a personal gift from the Father. In some ways, it could be compared with what had happened to them when they had been baptized by John and felt cleansed, forgiven, accepted, adopted, empowered, and filled with hope. The difference was that John had used water. God was going to wash them thoroughly in and with the Holy Spirit. Then came the day when these appearances and special dinners came to an end. Jesus had already told them that it was necessary for him to go away or else the Holy Spirit would not come. The starting signal would not happen as long as he remained with them, as long as he was still visibly present with them. And so after the full number of days were fulfilled, it was time for Jesus' resurrection appearances to end. 
They made one last walk with Jesus out of Jerusalem in the direction of Bethany to the Mount of Olives, where Jesus lifted up his hands in the manner used often by priests or pastors to pronounce blessings upon people. Oh, how I would love to know what words Jesus used as his final benediction. His final words to his closest friends were not words of instructions or things he was afraid he might have forgotten, but they were words of bless, blessing and blessedness. He had taught them everything he had planned to teach to that point. There would be other lessons, but they would come later. And so now all that was left for him to do was to remind them of how blessed of all people they were and that you and I are, how loved by God we are, by the Father and by him. With those words of love still pouring from Jesus' lips, Jesus left them and was taken up into heaven to the right hand of the Father. Almost like little children who had just put their parents on an airplane, the disciples stood there for a very long time just staring up at the sky until a cloud obscured Jesus from their sight. I'm sure that we too, had we been there, would have been looking up for a very long time. We're told that two men dressed in white, and that description implies that they were more than just mere mortals. These two men dressed in white encouraged the disciples to stop looking up at the sky and to go back to Jerusalem, adding this little bit of information to the story. This same Jesus who has been taken from you in this manner will come back the same way as you have seen him go. I imagine that from time to time, from the rest, for the rest of their lives, they would look up at the sky on a cloudy day, wondering if that day would be the day. But now was the time to get back to work and to get busy waiting. Have you ever had to get busy waiting? That sounds like the army, doesn't it? I had a Bible teacher some years ago with a group of us college kids who talked a great deal about patiently waiting upon the Lord. He pointed out that the book of Psalms are, are full of admonitions to wait upon the Lord. He said that all too often we try to do some great task for God without adequate preparation, without praying or studying and patiently waiting on God's timetable. As a result, he said, our work is anemic and only partially successful. My Bible teacher practiced what he preached, for he would tell us about the many hours he spent meditating and studying the scriptures before he came to teach us. And I think that that same thing is true today. You will find that the best pastors and the best Sunday school teachers are those who spend many hours preparing their hearts and minds for their, their speaking and their lessons as they meditate upon God's word. These disciples had plenty to do also while they waited patiently for the starting signal. And so they returned to the same upper room that had been home for them since the night of the Last Supper. And there they spent their time together in study and prayer. For one of the things that needed to be done, the leadership team needed to be confirmed. There were about 120 people gathering together now in that crowded upper room, a number that included both men and women, and look who else it said had joined their number. Jesus' mother and Jesus' brothers, probably James and Jude and others. In verse 13, we're told the names of the official disciples who would be leading the church. And that is a way of Luke telling us that the, the ones that Jesus had designated as the leaders now were assuming their position of leadership in the church. They were the ones leading this larger group. And it would appear that they looked to Peter as their moderator or leader. The next thing they had to deal with was the matter of what to do about Judas's apostolic office. Should they fill his position or let it remain vacant? In studying the Psalms, they found conflicting instructions regarding this. Psalm 69, 25 said, 
May his place be deserted. Let no one dwell in it. But in Psalms 109, 8, it said, May another take his place of leadership. Peter led this Bible study that came to the conclusion that the first passage in, in the Psalms must have referred to the land that was purchased by the bribe money that had been paid to Judas. That land was turned into a potter's field for burial of the very, very poor, and it was left uninhabited. But they decided that the second verse referred to Jesus's, to Judas's apostolic position. Uh, and so they felt like the Psalms were telling them that they needed to elect a successor for Judas from among the group that had traveled with them ever since John baptized Jesus. I find that to be an interesting stipulation that they chose because that immediately eliminated Jesus's blood brothers from consideration. They had not been followers of Jesus until that time. They had not been with Jesus from the beginning. And so from among those that had been traveling with them, they chose one named Matthias as the 12th apostle. Then they got back to studying, praying, meditating, and waiting. There were many parables of Jesus that the disciples needed to make sure they understood. And there were plenty of texts in their holy scriptures to reinterpret in the light of Christ's fulfillment of so many of them. Those scriptures must be located and learned. Meanwhile, there must have been some kind of a grand celebration going on in heaven as the king returned from his lengthy absence. He had left to become incarnate on earth, conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Upon his welcome back home, Jesus returned to the seat of high, great power, authority, and honor at God's side. The early church decided that the ascension of Jesus meant several things, that Jesus had assumed some new important duties in eternity, duties for us. The first duty was that Jesus was now King of Kings, whose reign in heaven had already begun and whose reign will someday be consummated throughout the universe at a time of God's own choosing. John A.T. Robinson states that the doctrine of the ascension is the most political of all Christian doctrines, for in it we proclaim Christ's ownership and authority in our world. And through the doctrine the church proclaims, every knee will one day bow in honor of God's chosen one. The second new duty was to intercede on behalf of us, his followers, to pray for us, to be our advocate before God, to constantly be the source of grace and forgiveness that we need moment by moment. Think about this, my friends. Jesus has our back and God's ear. That is intercession. Jesus is also directing the, church of, the, the work of his church, correcting our errors and confirming our difficult but correct decisions. You know, a lot of folks in our day worry about the future of whatever their denomination and church is. They worry that in our day we might be making some serious mistakes. And I would be worried too if I didn't know who was guiding the ship. I know who is at the helm of the great ship of the church. If we make a mistake, Jesus is there to intercede for us and to correct us in the future as he has done many times in our past. We in the church of Jesus Christ have been wrong before, but Jesus has always sent correction to us, and he will again. Thirdly, Jesus' ascension began the era known as the last days or end time. We are in the last age before the return of Christ and the end of time, and that has been true for almost 2,000 years. The next event on God's calendar is the establishment of his kingdom on earth when Jesus returns. Jesus' duty now is to work for us as he waits patiently for God's signal that the last days have been fulfilled. Whether that signal comes tomorrow or in a million years, 
who knows? Perhaps our task will be to take the gospel to another planet someday. I'm not going, but somebody will, and somebody else will have to. To be sure, if human pilgrims ever travel to new worlds, the good news about Jesus will travel with them. Those pilgrims will proclaim in the new world that Jesus ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father because Jesus reigns. Hallelujah. Amen.